turn to the book of Acts. We'll be reading Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47. As Pastor Bruce continues in his series, not a fan, but a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Today we're going to see how we can know Christ in our passages. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from the house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that we would be followers of you. And that we would know you and know your son. And that, uh, that our life would, uh, would show that. And that we would, we would just uh, live for you. And be with Pastor Bruce as he brings his message. And be with, uh, be with us as we continue to worship in song. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow, what a great song. Thank you, Dana. Appreciate that so very much, and uh, you know, that's what happens when you know Christ. You have Christ living within you through a personal relationship, and all of a sudden you're a new person with a new heart, and you can't help but burst forth in a life song that just radiates the life of Christ, and that's our hope and prayer for everyone who's here this morning as we continue in our series that we began last Sunday, Not a Fan. And, uh, and in this series, as we began last Sunday, we're basically learning what it means to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, we learned that the, the mega strategy, the ultimate strategy, in fact, it's the only strategy of Jesus Christ for reaching the whole world for Him, is to make disciples, or the terminology we're using is to make followers of Jesus Christ, to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And this strategy, this mission that Jesus gave to those 11 disciples before he ascended up into heaven is still the mission and strategy that we are living out today as a church body. This is why we exist as a church here at Glenwood. It's our mission is to make fully devoted followers of Christ. It means God does not call us to be or to make fans of Jesus Christ, as we saw last Sunday. Rather, it means we are to be and make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now, this immediately begs for an answer to the question, well, what in the world is a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? I mean, what does one look like? What does one act like? We learned last Sunday that Jesus was never interested in having fans and what we defined as a fan is an enthusiastic admirer of him. Jesus is not interested in fans of him or just admirers of him. Jesus wants fully devoted followers who will embrace his mission of making followers. But unfortunately, in our churches today, and perhaps even in our church here this morning, we have more fans than we have followers. So perhaps an equally important question that we should stop and ask ourselves is this. Am I a fan or am I a follower here this morning? Chances are most of us here today are quick to say, oh yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. But how many of us really understand what we are saying? Because the problem with asking this question is this. It's almost impossible to be objective. After all, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, what makes you so sure about that? 
What measurements will you use to define your relationship with Jesus Christ? Because here's the deal. Many fans mistakenly identify themselves as followers by using, well, can we say cultural comparisons. They'll look at the commitment level of others that are around them, even in the same church that they go to, perhaps. And in comparison, they will feel like their relationship with Jesus is pretty solid when they compare their life in relation to somebody else's life. Essentially, they grade their relationship with Jesus on a curve. And as long as they think they're better than the next person, hey, they figure everything is fine. Another measurement sometimes fans use is is what I would call the religious ruler. They point to all the things that they say for Christ, that they do for Christ, as evidence that they are followers of Christ. In essence, they measure their relationship with Jesus with a religious ruler. But here's the real question that we need to ask ourselves. How does Jesus define what it means to follow him. Because that's what matters most. That's the measurement we need to use to determine, am I a fan of Jesus or am I a follower of Jesus? And when you study the Gospels in the New Testament, you can summarize what we learn in those Scriptures, what it means to live as a follower of Jesus. And for our church body here at Glenwood, we're summarizing it with four simple words. We learned what those words last Sunday. We introduced them to you last Sunday. And those words are what? It's know, grow, show, and go. Four simple words in which to define or even to uh, describe what a follower of Jesus looks like. So, here's the question. Are you a fan or a follower? And what we're going to learn this morning is that fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, first of all, they know Christ as their Savior and Lord. Fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ know Christ as their Savior and Lord. What I want to do this morning is answer three questions about knowing Christ. I want to answer the question, what does it mean to know Christ? And then we're going to answer the question, what keeps us from knowing Christ? And then we'll end with a third question, how can I know Christ? What does it look like from the Scriptures here? So let's look at the first question and answer it. What does it mean to know Christ? What does it mean to know Christ? Now, uh, most of you, I think most of you are aware that I was born in the great state of Kansas. How many were born in the state of Kansas? Raise your hand. All right, yes. How many are Jayhawk fans because of that? Raise your hand. All right, great. How many are K-State fans because of that? All right, we have a few. And they're really excited because, let me tell you, they had a great win yesterday. Last night, awesome win. I was even rooting for them, Bill, as I watched that game, as they beat the Sooner Boomer, Oklahoma Sooners. And, uh, but nevertheless... I am a KU fan. I'm a huge KU fan. Most of you guys know that. So I want to tell you about someone I know. His name is Mario Chalmers. And coming up on the screen is a picture of him that I have hanging in my office. I have this picture in my office. You're more than welcome after church to come and see it. You can pay homage to it if you want. But Mario Chalmers, uh, he's most famous for this shot right here. It's called the Miracle Shot or Mario's Miracle, with 3.6 seconds left that sent the 2008 college championship game into overtime in which KU went on to win over the Memphis Tigers. It was awesome. Here's what I also know about Mario. Man, that same year he was selected with the 34th pick in the NBA draft, second round, by the Minnesota Timberwolves who traded his rights to the Miami Heat. This year, I don't know how many of you know this, but this year he won his first NBA championship with the Miami Heat, which puts him, get this, on a very select list of those basketball players who've not only won an NCCA, NCAA cha- college championship and an NBA championship together. Not very many have done that. Some of you may be wondering, well, wow, Bruce, that's pretty amazing. How do you know Mario Chalmers? I mean, do you text each other? Well, no, we don't text. 
But I've known Mario since he was a senior in high school in Anchorage, Alaska, when he was being recruited by Bill Self. You're like, well, man, that's great, but, but how do you know Mario? Do you call each other on the phone? Well, no, we don't talk on the phone, but I know that Mario is just his nickname. How many knew that? I know his real name is Al Mario Bernard Chalmers. Well, are you on Al Mario Facebook friends? Is that how you guys stay connected? Well, no, we're not Facebook friends, but I know Mario was rated the number two point guard in the country his senior year before playing three years at Kansas and now completing four years in the NBA with the Miami Heat. Well, have you ever met Mario? Do you spend any time with him? Well, no, I've never met Mario, but let me tell you, I have watched him play a whole lot. I've watched him play on TV. In fact, I have seen almost every one of his games at Kansas on TV. You're probably thinking by now, man, I thought you said you knew Mario Chalmers. Well, okay, I don't really know Mario Chalmers, but let me tell you, I'm a big fan of Mario Chalmers. I still am today. I was so excited for him with the Miami Heat that they won, even though I don't like the Miami Heat. Now, let me ask you, how many of you know Christ the way I know Mario Chalmers? You see, we know a lot of information about Jesus Christ, but we don't really know him. And the reason is because we don't have a relationship with him. This is the first big difference between fans of Jesus and followers of Jesus. Notice this in your notes. Fans of Jesus know Christ factually, but followers of Jesus know Christ personally in a living, saving, eternal relationship with him. Fans have a tendency to confuse their knowledge of Jesus and about Jesus for a relationship with Jesus. They don't recognize the difference between knowing about Jesus, and truly knowing Jesus personally. We see this difference when Peter preaches to the men of Israel in Jerusalem. In fact, Zach read to us the, uh, what took place after this sermon in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. I want to take you to a little section of the sermon that Jesus preached before what we saw in our text in Acts chapter 2 later on. Notice, if you have your Bibles, in Acts chapter 2, in fact, it's there in your notes as well, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 24. Look what Peter says to the men of Israel here in Jerusalem. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. In other words, these men even saw Jesus. They saw him work. As you yourselves know, Peter says. In other words, these men knew Jesus factually. They knew all about Jesus. They even saw Jesus. And then Peter goes on. He says, this Jesus, who you know factually, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosening the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, here's what I want you to see here with these men of Israel. They knew Jesus factually, but they didn't know Jesus personally in a living, saving, eternal relationship. But this is how Jesus wants us to know him. In fact, this is what he prays for in John chapter 17, verse 3. When he cries out to the heavenly Father, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So immediately Jesus defines for us what eternal life is. Eternal life is a relationship with Jesus, knowing him in that relationship. This word no, it's so generic in our language, isn't it? No. 
I can say I know Mario Chalmers. This word know, it, it can mean anything. Such as I know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. And yet at the same time, I can use the same word to say that I know my wife Darla. And let me tell you, those are two completely different meanings of the word know. Probably the best word in all the Bible to describe the idea and the concept of relationship and personal intimacy is the word know in the scriptures. And while this knowing always involves head knowledge, it always involves information about someone, it always goes much deeper than that. It starts in the head, it begins here, but it has to move to the heart and to the emotions. In fact, the Hebrew word for know is the word yada, such as when it says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, now Adam knew Eve, his wife. Adam yada his wife. Now, don't just brush past this, because this is not just some yada, yada, yada moment. Let me tell you, this is a yada moment between a husband and wife as it describes their personal, intimate relationship. In the same meeting in the Hebrew text continues in the New Testament in the Greek words for no. Such as you can go to Luke chapter 1 verse 34 when Mary, after being told that she would have a child by the Spirit, said, man, how can this be? I do not know a man. Well, obviously, you mean to tell me Mary never was introduced to a man? She's never seen men? She never has known a man? Well, you get the idea. She's never known a man intimately. uh, Impersonally, she knows men in intellectual sense. With this understanding of the biblical word no, I can confidently stand here today and say, listen, I know my wife, but I don't know Mario Chalmers. I only know about him. And that's true of most historical characters, whether it's George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, or Mario Chalmers. We can know all kinds of things about them, but we have no way to really know them personally. But Jesus... The person of Jesus Christ is not just a person who lived in history. Yes, he's a historical figure. He's the God-man who lived in history. But Jesus still lives today. And through God's word and through his spirit, we can know Christ personally in a living, saving, eternal relationship in the here and now. In fact, I love what the Apostle Paul says. This kind of knowing, get this, was his lifelong passion. It was his lifelong goal to know Christ more and more and more, even though he was already a believer in Christ. Yes, he came to a saving knowledge of Christ. And once he came to that saving knowledge of Christ, it was his goal to continue to know Christ more and more. We read this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, when he says, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. So get this, immediately we, we learn that there has to be a beginning, a starting point in which we enter into a relationship with Christ by his spirit, by his work, where we know Christ as our Lord and Savior. And once we start that relationship, we don't just stop knowing him. We continue to grow in that knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's no different than when you get married. When when Darla and I got married, we stood on this platform and said, I do. And physically then we consummated our marriage in in using the the Hebrew word, we knew each other then physically, intimately, emotionally. It's just not done and over with then. For 21 years, we've been growing to know one another more and more, deeper and stronger. And it's the same way in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So let me stop and ask a question. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ as your Savior, as your Lord? And I don't mean do you know Christ just factually and intellectually. Although, 
that is certainly included. But do you know him personally and intimately? Because at the heart of what it means to know Christ, you can define it with one word, relationship. Relationship. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, if Christ prayed that we would know him personally in a living, saving, eternal relationship, then why don't more people know Christ in this way? Why don't more people have a relationship with Christ and know him? Well, this brings us to our second question. What keeps us from knowing Christ? Well, there are several things that can keep someone from knowing Christ personally, but I want us to focus on just two. That is the good and the bad. The good and the bad. In fact, the good and the bad keep more people from knowing Christ than anything else, I believe. In fact, in the book of John, the good and the bad almost kept two people from knowing Christ personally in a living, saving, eternal relationship. So in what way does the good and the bad keep people, people like us, from knowing Christ in a personal, living, eternal relationship? We'll notice this. Let's look at two characters here. Number one is by the guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus shows us that when you think you're too good, it keeps us from knowing Christ. When you think you're too good, it can keep you from knowing Christ. In John chapter 3, we read about a fan named Nicodemus. But you should know that this guy wasn't just any kind of fan. This was a really good fan. In fact, check out his resume in verse 1. Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, let me tell you, he was a very devout religious man. And as a ruler of the Jews, Nicodemus was also well-known and well-respected in the Jewish community. In other words, we could say this about Nicodemus. He is as good a person as one could ever hope to find in this world. He's the cream of the Jewish crop. He's the top dog religiously and morally. I mean, if anyone was good, it's Nicodemus. You're not going to find a better person than Nicodemus. Nicodemus had been a secret admirer or a secret fan of Jesus for quite some time. And think about it. He was listening to Jesus' teaching. He was watching Jesus perform incredible miracles, and he couldn't help but be inspired by this person of Jesus Christ. So it's no surprise now to read in verse 2 of John chapter 3 that this man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know. There's our word again. We know. Who's the we? Well, it includes Nicodemus and all the rest of his Jewish leader counterparts. We know that you are a teacher from God. For no one can do these signs, miracles that you do, unless it's with him. The problem is, Nicodemus knows about Jesus. He's seen him. He's watched him. He knows Jesus factually. Nicodemus was a good man who knew all about him. As a fan, he knew Jesus better than anybody intellectually and factually. But Jesus wants Nicodemus, get this, to know him personally, to know him intimately, to have a relationship with him. And so Jesus tells him something in verse 3. He says, most assuredly, I tell you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Whoa, step back, because let me tell you, with those words, Jesus just turned Nicodemus' whole world upside down. He just blew his world wide open. After all, Nicodemus thought he was always good enough to enter the kingdom of God, to enter God's heaven. But now Jesus says, no, 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 you must be born again. Born again. That's an old cliche that we used to hear a lot. Don't hear that word too often very much now. So what does it mean? Well, let me just very briefly define it here. Being born again is about God giving you New life spiritually. In fact, this new life is not something that you can achieve on your own. It's not something that you can do on your own. 
It's the work of God that comes through our repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, it comes through knowing Christ as our Savior and Lord. So Nicodemus finds himself at a crossroads here. He's being confronted by the very person that he's a fan of, except Jesus doesn't want him to be a fan. Jesus wants him to be a fully devoted follower of him. So Jesus confronts him. And Nicodemus finds himself at a crossroads, a choice that he's going to have to make between his religion and a relationship with Jesus. Nicodemus, let me tell you, was a good man who knew all about Jesus. And that good almost kept him from knowing Jesus personally. Number two, the second person I want us to look at is the woman at the well. Look at this. The woman at the well shows us that when you think you're too bad, it can keep you from knowing Christ. Nicodemus is John chapter 3. The woman at the well we see in John chapter 4. And we meet the woman with a really, really, get this, really bad past. She's called the woman at the well because we don't know her name. And that's where Jesus met her, when he's at this well to get water. So Jesus is at this well to get water, and Jesus sees this woman, he encounters her, begins a uh, conversation with her, and he offers this woman at the well living water to meet her soul's deepest needs. But she thinks Jesus is just talking about physical water in the well to quench her physical thirst. But Jesus He knows all about her guilty past. He knows all about her secret present even. And he knows that it's keeping her from knowing Christ personally. So Jesus says to her in John chapter 4 verse 16, he says, hey, listen, why don't you go and call your husband and come back? So how does she respond? Well, she says in verse 17, hey, I have no husband, Jesus. And Jesus tells her in verses 17 and 18, oh, man, you know what? You're right when you say you have no husband. And then Jesus proceeds with these words. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. So what you have just told me, hey, it is quite true. Now let me just give you a picture of what this woman's life is like. This woman's life was a miserable chain of unfulfilling relationships. She went down the same road with a different man, and she kept getting the same results, emptiness and a broken heart. And the fact that she had married five times indicates that she longed for fulfillment. She longed for something. And each time, she was disappointed. And so now, as she comes to this well to get water, she is worn down by the scars of hurt, the kind of... Scars that come from being the source of someone else's gratification. And above all, let me tell you, she is filled with a deep thirst for something better in this world. And yet the irony is she tries to hide it. She tries to hide her guilty past. She tries to hide her present secret from the one who knows her best and loves her most. And so Jesus, what he does in his grace is he begins to expose her inner heart and her inner life. Not to condemn her, not to rehearse the details. He brought it up to expose the true thirst in her soul, what she needed most because Jesus loves her and he wants her to know him intimately and personally as her Savior. Now, do you know what's true right here this morning? In a crowd this size... Let me tell you, there are a handful of people right now who think, I can't know Christ. My past is too bad. And Jesus doesn't want to know me because my past is too bad. Listen to me. Jesus knew about this woman's guilty past of five husbands. And he even knew about her present secret of living with another man. And yet Jesus tells her the answer to her soul's thirst is to know him personally. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 4, in the same story here, in verse 10, he says, listen, 
to this woman. If you only knew, there's our word again, no. If you only knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you. In other words, if you only knew God's gift through me, I'm the Messiah that has come. I am the Savior who is here to save you and give you what you need most in your life. And if you only knew who it is who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, we don't have time to look at the whole story, but let's get to the end because it's awesome. Just as Nicodemus came into a knowing relationship with Christ, this woman does too later on. Both these people come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. So what keeps us from knowing Christ? What is keeping perhaps some of you this morning from knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior? Let me tell you, it's so simple. It is our good and it's our bad. That hangs people up and keeps them in the bondage of their sin. Instead of being set free from their sin through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in a saving, living, eternal relationship with Him. But folks, get this. Nicodemus and this woman show us that anybody, anybody can know Christ regardless of how good they think they are or how bad they might think they have been. If they're willing to humble themselves and repent of their sin and acknowledge, I need you, Lord. I want to know you as my Savior and Lord. And that's why I love what it says in John chapter 3, the very last verse in John chapter 3, verse 36, where it tells us, whoever believes. And that word believe there, let me tell you, that word believe has the idea of knowing Christ, of putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so in other words, we are told in John chapter 3, verse 36, whoever is willing to believe whoever is willing to humble themselves and know Christ has eternal life. But get this, it also goes on, it says, whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Now, let me just put one little emphasis here, because I don't want you to miss the location of this verse in the book of John. You guys happen to notice where it's at, where it's located? It's the very last verse of John chapter 3. So you have the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You have verse 36, and then immediately you have the story of the woman at the well. So you got the story of Nicodemus, the story of the woman at the well. You have the good and the bad. Two extremes that keep people from knowing Christ. And what does God say to us right in the middle? Anyone can come to know Jesus Christ. Anybody. Doesn't matter how good or how bad. It doesn't have to keep you there. Which brings us to our last question. Well, how can I know Christ? How can I know Christ? Let's go back to Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. In fact, this is his sermon that Peter preaches in what is called Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. Some of you may be familiar with that term. And I want you to notice Peter's conclusion to his sermon in verse 36. This is his summary conclusion in verse 36. Look at it. He says, now, after preaching, let all the house of Israel, therefore, and what's the next word? No. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, who's him? Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, how's that for a conclusion? Basically, Peter says this in his conclusion. Jesus is Lord and he's Savior. And guess what? You killed him. (laughs) That's not politically correct, is it? Jesus is Lord and He's Savior, and you killed Him. But God raised Him from the dead. Amen is right. But God raised Him from the dead, and He's alive today. That's His conclusion. And Peter concludes, I love this, because we just got through seeing the good and the bad, but you know what? how Peter concludes? He concludes with good news and bad news. 
that everyone needs to know in order to come into a saving, redeeming relationship with Jesus Christ. The bad news is this, and this is what Peter tells them. I'm guilty of sin. And in context, Peter's saying to the men of Israel, the guilt is you killed Christ. You crucified him. But folks, it's not just the men there in Israel, in Jerusalem, that crucified Christ. Do you realize every one of our sins crucified Christ? So we are all guilty here this morning. That's bad news, right? Because my sin separates me from God. And if I'm not reconciled to God, the end result of my sin is it's eternal separation in hell. That's bad news. And that's, in essence, what Peter is telling the men of Israel and is telling us today. But the good news is this. Jesus died for my sin, and he rose again. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's good news. I'm guilty, but God loves me so much that Jesus came here, died on the cross for my sins, so I don't have to pay for it, and he rose again. So now I have the opportunity to respond to him and to know him as my Lord and my Savior. Woo! Is that not great news? Especially in light of the bad news that I am guilty. And what's amazing in this sermon here is by God's grace in verse 37, it tells us the people, after they heard the sermon, it says they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart, which means they were convicted of their sin. In other words, they felt the full weight of their sin. And so they asked Peter, I love it, he said, what shall we do, Peter? What shall we do? I'm convicted of my sin. I want to be saved. Peter, tell us, what shall we do? Look at Peter's answer in verse 38. He tells them, it's so simple, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let me summarize this, what this looks like. How can I know Christ? From Peter's answer, you can know Christ as Savior and Lord through first and foremost, through conversion. Through conversion. Salvation is what we mean here. How does one come into salvation? How is one converted? It's real simple. Look in your notes. Respond to the gospel by repenting of your sin and trusting Christ by faith for forgiveness of sin and eternal life. The gospel is that I'm guilty of my sin. But Jesus came to die on the cross for my sin and rose again. And he now offers that relationship to me. And if God is tugging at your heart, then you need to respond. You say, how do I respond? By repenting of your sin and trusting Christ, putting your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and for the gift of eternal life. This is what the people did after hearing Peter preach. They responded to the good news of Jesus by repenting of their sin and by faith, trusting Christ as their Savior and Lord. Not of their good works. Let me tell you, these men of Israel were good men, just like Nicodemus. And yet they were just as bad as the woman at the well. Peter's not suggesting that salvation comes through an act of baptism here. Rather, the Bible sees repentance and baptism so closely linked that Peter combines them here. You say, well, what is repentance? Repentance, let me tell you, it's more than feeling sorry. These people had already felt sorry. They were cut to the heart. In other words, they were convicted of their sin already. And now they're asking Peter, what shall I do? So repentance now is, 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 is an admission of my sin. It's an acknowledgement of my sin. It's a change of my mind. It's a change of mind about me first and foremost that I am guilty of my sin. And then it's a change of mind about Jesus Christ. I need him as my Savior and only he can save me. And that change of mind about me and Jesus should result in life change. And part of that 
evidence of a life change is now giving a public demonstration that you know Christ in salvation through, number two, get this, commitment or obedience. We see it here in baptism. And so you publicly identify with Christ and His church through baptism and membership in a local church. And this is what we see happening in verse 41 when it says, so those who received His word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Added to the church in Jerusalem. In other words, those who know Christ as their Savior and Lord, they took the next step of obedience, of commitment, and they were baptized and added to the church in Jerusalem. And so baptism and membership is a public way of identifying with Christ. You say, you know what? I'm not ashamed to be a follower of Christ. I'm not just a fan. I'm not just a secret admirer of Jesus. I'm not just a convenient follower of Jesus. And a come-as-you-go follower. I'm a fully devoted follower. And I'm willing to commit my life to Christ. And I'm willing to give evidence of that and testimony to that by identifying with Christ and His body. I just don't love the head. I just don't love Christ and then discard His body. Which is the way a lot of followers want to follow Christ today. Listen, you can't love the head and not love his body. Or to say it another way, you can't love the bride or Jesus and not love his bride, which is the church. It's a both and. It's a both and. So let me encourage you, if you haven't already, let me encourage you to take the next step of obedience, of commitment, and identify with Christ, your Savior, your Lord, the one who gives you the gift of eternal life, and identify with Him publicly in baptism, and in membership of a local church like ours. And then once we know Christ personally through salvation, let me tell you, like the Apostle Paul We want to continue to know Christ. We want to continue to grow in our relationship with Christ and know Him more and more and celebrate what Christ has done for us, which brings us to number three, celebration. Worship. You say, what is worship? Let me give you a simple definition of worship. It's right there in your notes. It's surrender your life to the Lord. That's worship. It's surrendering your life to the Lord, and it's expressing your love for the Lord. That is at the heart of what worship is. And we don't do that just on a one-time basis. It's not like I did this ten years ago and I'm done with it. No. Man, we find, we do this daily. Romans 12, verse 1. And now we do it corporately with a... uh, corporately on a weekly basis with another group of believers in a local church. Being part of Christ's church is more than just a casual, optional event. Worshiping Christ together was something these Christ followers in Acts in this early church were devoted to. Verses 46 and 47 says, And day by day, attending the temple together, there's their worship service, and breaking bread in their homes, there's their grow groups. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Oh, that this will be the devotion of our hearts as Christ followers. Oh, that God would grant us favor with all peoples in our community and beyond so that more people would come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. Man, that is my heart's desire. That is my prayer for our church. And I hope it's your prayer for our church as well. So where do you start? Where do you start in determining if you really know Christ personally as your Savior and Lord? Well, you begin by having a DTR talk with Jesus. Now, some of you may already know what the letters DTR stands for. And if you're not sure, here's a hint. Because for every young man here this morning involved in a romantic relationship, 
these letters, DTR, are enough to strike fear into his heart. In fact, many young men will postpone, they will run away, they will put off the DTR talk for as long as possible. So guess what DTR stands for? Define the relationship. This is the official talk that takes place at some point in a romantic relationship to determine the level of commitment in that relationship. You want to see where things stand. You want to find out, hey, what we have, is it real or is it just fatuation? I guess I should say infatuation, fatuation, whatever. I still remember having this DTR talk with my wife, Darla. We've been going out for a couple months over the summer. And our relationship was progressing fairly quickly, and it was time to have the DTR talk. It was time to define the relationship. Hey, is this casual? Is there committed? And it wasn't long after the DTR talk that we got married. And the rest is history, 21 years later. So here's what I'm asking you to do right now. I'm asking you to have the DTR talk and define the relationship you either have or you don't yet have with Jesus. So here's the question I want you to answer. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ where I know Christ and Christ knows me? That's the question every one of us needs to answer. All of us desperately need to consider whether I know Christ and He knows me in a personal relationship. The bottom line is this, folks. Listen to me, please. Don't tune me out right here. There will be a day when we all stand before God, and on that day, many who thought of themselves as followers of Jesus will be identified as nothing more than fans. Don't believe me? Check out the verse there at the bottom of your notes. Look closely to what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 21 and 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father. And what is the will of the Father? It's for you to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Listen, these are some of the most shocking words in all the Bible. Jesus is not speaking here to to pagans. Let me tell you, He's speaking here to religious people like Nicodemus. He was speaking to religious people who were deceived into thinking they were on the narrow road that leads to heaven, when in reality they were on the broad road that leads to hell. And according to Jesus, one day, not just a few people, but Jesus says, many people will be shocked, eternally shocked, to find that they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it comes down to. That's the dividing line that Jesus identifies. Jesus says to these fans, I never knew you. So it all comes down to this. It all comes down to a personal relationship with Jesus where you know Him and He knows you. But there are some of us here this morning, we're just like these fans of Matthew 7. Because here's what we want to do. We want to put the emphasis on what we say and what we do. And that's how we begin to measure our followership. But Jesus identifies His true followers based upon a personal, saving, eternal relationship of knowing Him as Savior and Lord. What we say, what we do, let me tell you, just overflows out of that relationship that we already have. So please, I beg you this morning... Pause long enough in the seat where you're sitting to define the relationship before it's too late. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ 
where you know him and he knows you. Let's pray. Before I pray, I wonder how many could say with confidence, I know Christ as my Savior and Lord. Boy, if you can say that with confidence, would you just raise your hand as a testimony of your salvation? Raise them high all over the auditorium. Thank you, you can put them down. Perhaps there are some here who didn't raise their hand because, well, you don't know Christ, and you know it. But God is moving in your heart, and you want to know Christ personally as your Savior and Lord. And if that describes you, listen, I'd like to pray for you. I just want to lift you up before God. And so, if you'd be willing, would you just raise your hand so I can see you and pray for you, identifying yourself. I don't know Christ, but I want to know Christ. Is that you? Just raise your hand. Thank you. Lord, we come to you this morning, and I ask that you would work as only you can do through your spirit and through your word. Lord, you would convict us. You would make us fully aware of whether or not we know you as our Savior and Lord. And if we don't, Lord, I pray that you would draw those people to you in a saving relationship. You would open up their eyes and help them to see themselves in their sin and their need for Jesus Christ and they would come running to you at the cross and they would cry out in faith and repent of their sin and ask you to forgive them and receive the gift of eternal life in a saving relationship Lord as we have the praise team sing I pray that you would work I pray that we would respond in your name amen the praise team is going to sing one verse And I want to invite you to respond. If you don't know Christ, listen, right there. Cry out to the Lord and respond to him. If you already know him, ask God to help you to continue to grow in your knowledge of him.